what is real. Second patient is GG. Infection date, April 16th, 2020. Time of death was 4.20 p.m. Before the end, GG and I discussed the nature of reality. Do humans understand reality? Are we anything more than a set of fitness payoffs? Or... Is there something beyond that? You will stay and listen. You have no other choice. Will you kindly listen to this podcast? Patient 2 recording begins now. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Chaz. Thanks for having me. All right. I'm going to go ahead and break out of the voice for now, but it's definitely part of the uh, shtick here. I'm really glad to have you on the show. I think we're going to have an interesting talk here. Previously, we had a nice conversation without recording it, and I thought that was pretty successful. So, you know, why not actually record it this time? I like the format that you have going on. I listened to the first episode with Rocksteady Valaba a while back. Shout out to him. Love that guy. And it was a very interesting conversation. I can't wait to see where our conversation will lead us. Absolutely. I believe that he called you out multiple times on that podcast. And that kind of led me to end up talking to you. And here you are, right? Yeah. (laughs) Let's start here. Like The one thing that's been really on my mind lately is this guy, Donald Hoffman. I had mentioned to you before we started that that's kind of where my brain is likely to be. It's not quite as much now, of course, but it's still kind of there. For anyone that's not aware, Donald Hoffman is this gentleman that is proposing, I'm not sure if it's an alternative hypothesis or what one would call it to be as accurate as possible here, but who cares really at this point. To kind of just be clear, he talks about how the way that we know reality may not be the end. And I think that's kind of intuitively correct to most people, I think. But when he begins to kind of lay out the argument, you begin to kind of look at it and be like, you're getting further and further away from what one might accept and certainly what a scientist might accept with any confidence. I know you said you kind of looked into it a little bit. How deeply did you go down that rabbit hole? I went quite far, I would say. I I haven't read his book yet, but I listened to about a a dozen of his interviews and lectures and talks. And so I think I know what he's trying to say quite well. Um, I think it's it's a very wild theory. I, I agree with a lot of his assessments. Like he talks a lot about how our brains actually work and how our perception works and, um, how how we are not at the end of our understanding in terms of physics. Um, Like we know that at the current best theories that we have, like uh, relativity theory and quantum electrodynamics, for example, 
they're very good at explaining some things, but they have the limits. And so he postulates that there has to be something else, like there has to be a deeper theory. And I agree with that a lot. I think everyone who studies physics to some extent uh, agrees with that. But it's, it's difficult for me because, as you said, uh, the longer you listen to him and the, the deeper you fall down this particular rabbit hole, um, the crazier it gets. I see myself as a, as a scientist and as, and as a skeptic. So I believe in the claim that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And I'm not sure if the theory he has is actually uh, falsifiable. So um, it's, it's very far out there. <laughs> So maybe um, you could go a little bit further into uh, what he said, because to be honest, I've only listened to two of his videos. But I think the best analogy that I saw on one of the videos to really uh, make the issue or the, you know, the possible reality of our situation clear is the video game analogy. I think it makes it pretty clear. Um, So in the one video that I was watching, they used Grand Theft Auto. I think it's pretty clear. So you're, and I think I made a, a tweet on this that was pretty popular that talked about this, that if you are a character within Grand Theft Auto, would you be able to, you know, if you worked hard enough and for long enough, quote unquote, would you be able to discover the electrons and the, basically the computer that underrides your reality? You know, would you be able to, figure that out if you did, you know, something in your game reality to be able to get there. And that's essentially the analogy that um, Hoffman is pushing forward here. You know, the ultimate reality, or at least the wrapper of our local reality, is in essence some kind of video game interface that we see, we see the Grand Theft Auto world of cars and people and things, but that's only what our limited evolutionary biology would kind of reward us to see. Is that kind of along the lines of what you understood him to say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And I, I heard him use the video game metaphor a lot as well. Um, but I think his, his favorite metaphor is the, the one of the computer desktop. That um, if you imagine having a file on your desktop... Maybe it's, you know, a a folder with a book you have written. And uh, the fact that this folder is blue and rectangular doesn't make the underlying reality of it blue and rectangular, like the electrical impulses and uh, the transistors and the hard disk and everything that's actually responsible for that file being there looks very differently and behaves very differently. Yeah, he has some very interesting ideas i'm 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 not necessarily saying that he's wrong i think it's it's very hard to disagree with the these general statements but he has some very wild ideas in terms of uh what what he speculates is the underlying reality and he speculates that the actually the underlying reality are conscious agents it's a, a web of infinite conscious agents and um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I was surprised to hear him talk about that and, and speculate on that because he, I think he worked at MIT in the AI lab and uh, he knows a thing or two about the human brain and how it works. Usually people with his expertise take the opposite stance that consciousness is an emergent phenomena. It's, it's something that brains do. Like if you have a sufficiently complex neural network so to speak then it will become conscious and uh, 
it, it will feel like something to be the thing. That's how brain scientists explain it more or less. And I think many computer scientists uh, explain it like that as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting description, like thinking of what we perceive as reality just as an interface and we can't really access the underlying reality. Like the underlying reality is hidden from us. And he says all the time that evolution has shaped us with perception symbols. So what we actually, what we perceive is not the base reality, but it's just useful symbols uh, to go back to the desktop metaphor, like the trash can on your desktop, on your computer desktop is a, is a useful symbol. And he also says all the time that we should take those symbols seriously, but we should not take them literally. Like he, he, he takes it seriously if he, if he takes the, the, the symbol, like the folder, which contains the book he, he, he was writing for the last three years, if he drags that to the trash can, you should take this action very seriously, but it's not literally what's happening. You know, it, the reality is not that you take this folder and put it into the trash can, so to speak. The reality is that electrical impulses destroy data at the end of the day. Yeah, it's interesting to, to think about that. But uh, like I, I always found myself disagreeing with him at some point, you know, like if he, if he makes uh, like the, the conclusion that because of all those phenomena, he concludes that the underlying reality is a, a web of infinite agents, like infinite conscious agents. I, I can't go that far. So uh, I don't know. What, what, what do you think about his, his claims in regards that the underlying reality is pure consciousness? So I have many different opinions because there's many different facets of me that you know, react differently. So the first response, I think, was the very skeptical one. But there are other parts of me, and I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this uh, publicly, but um, in 2011, I had a psychotic break, and part of the psychosis surrounding that was a was a narrative very similar to his hypothesis of these conscious agents. It was something like our human internal reality just does not have the ability to view what's actually happening, and what I was kind of in my psychosis at the time was Earth is like a training ground where like the amoeba kind of figure out, you know, that, that they're not amoeba and then they grow out of earth and end up in some other kind of uh, reality. I, d I didn't really have a really great idea of that, but the, I think that kind of idea is not that new, to be honest, because when I was listening to uh, Donald Hoffman, I, I was remembering a lot of different sources, not maybe not a lot, but at least a couple different sources that uh, really reminded me of it. So not only my own psychotic break where it's like every different possible object and person isn't what they appear to be. They just are what they need to appear to be for your reality to be kind of making sense in a narrative sense for you to graduate to the next stage. I don't know. That's just whatever that was. Um, but then I was also remembering an episode of Star Trek, the next generation. I'm not sure if you've ever seen Star Trek, the next generation. Yeah. I saw, I saw a bunch of, uh, I'm, I'm not a Trekkie, but I, I saw a bunch of episodes. Do you remember a character named the traveler by chance? No, I don't. 
this was a character that was in, um, I think, the earlier episodes of uh, The Next Generation and then in one episode of season seven of, of The Next Generation. But anyway, the main concept of this character was that he was very mysterious, but how they described him, basically in an, in an episode, he helped to find one of the characters that was missing in like a pocket reality, like a pocket universe. And he basically pushed forward the the concept that space-time is two parts of the reality, but there is another part, at least, and that part is human thought. That human thought is an integral part of everything, not, not just human thought, but just thought. That it permeated more than what we realized and all that. Going even further back, I was kind of reminded of Plato and uh, Plato kind of had the, I think he kind of used the term, the reality of the forms or something like that. We're in the reality of being where things are constantly changing, but the reality of forms just is. I'm not sure if I'm making any sense right now on, on Plato. Anyway, I think, I think what I'm saying is that a lot of these ideas have existed for a long time, that thought and consciousness is more of the base reality, and maybe that's more of a, a kind of a, a thing that you can take on as a like intu- as an intuitive thing. Like that's all we know that we are conscious beings, and what else could re- really there be? Um, and that's a really intuitive thing to take on. Going back to the first thing that I said, that my skeptical brain and my brain demanding a concrete demonstration of things makes it very hard for me to take on this idea and like you said it's it may not be falsifiable um so we might not ever be able to take it on and my question on twitter about you know can a gta character really discover um the base reality just from the game reality basically asking from our actual position can we actually find the ultimate reality from the base reality, given that in a video game, it's literally set up to prevent the game from finding itself. It's just you're, you're manually building it from scratch to do what it does, not to really do much beyond that. So a video game is made not to find itself because that's the programmers would never add that in there. That's not needed. So would we ever find the base reality? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that's also one of the problems with uh, Hoffman's theory. Uh, and he, I feel like he, he claims that we can probe the deeper reality with some experiments, so to speak. Like he, he talks about split brain patients, for example. And if you actually split the brain, you um, split one conscious agent uh, in half, or uh, I think the way he phrase, phrased it was that you have like multiple conscious agents, um, more or less represented by the left and the right hemisphere. And once you uh, cut the however, however it's called, this cerebellum something <laughs> corpus, <laughs> cerebellum it's the corpus. corpus, corpus cerebellum, something like that. <laughs> Co- I'm I'm stuttering r- really bad right now, but the second word starts with a C. It's, uh, you know what I mean, Colossum or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, this we'll have to look it up. But yeah. w- w- once you you um, you manage to separate the two halves of the brain, um, then then you're actually 
kind of interacting with the conscious agents and uh, you end up having two conscious agents. Um, like th these are his words, not mine. And I, I tend to agree with, with, with you and what you said. Like uh, as a character in GTA, um, it's really hard to, uh, like, uh, <laughs> it's not really hard. It's, it's pretty much impossible to figure out the source code below and influence it in, in, in any meaningful way. But now, now that I'm saying that, you know, I, I can think of examples where um, all kinds of people figured out ways to do that in computer games. Like there are speedrunners that managed to uh, write into like into the memory slots of Super Mario, for example, if you position the sprites just right and if you time everything right, you can actually manipulate the underlying memory and just do insane warps and just beat the game without moving from the first level because you just wrote into the memory that you beat the game with the maximum score. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much like one of the hacks that they do. And uh, so, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe there would be a way to fiddle a bit with the underlying reality uh if this um metaphor turns out to be true but but i don't know i i, I think the the other interesting thing that he he's saying is um he talks about evolution a lot because um he bases the his beliefs about his theory on experiments he did uh, computer simulations that build up a, a microcosm of agents like you have a a virtual reality so to speak and you put agents in them and he made um tests like simulations spanning multiple generations to see if the fitness of the agents improves if they see the actual reality or if it uh would actually be better if you see um something that does not align with the actual underlying reality. Um, I haven't looked into the details of his experiments. I, I, I would really like to like check out what he actually did uh, <laughs> because it, it, it sounds very interesting and I'm, I'm very interested in uh, evolutionary algorithms and, and simulations like that. But he claims that in all the tests uh, he and his team ran, it was never beneficial for the agents to actually see the underlying reality clearly it was always better like you always had a, a better fitness an evolutionary fitness like if you only saw the things that mattered so to speak and you you, you ignored most of the underlying reality and yeah i i, I can kind of understand that he focuses on that a lot that it's all driven by evolution and like he, he has this phrase where he says that perception is not about seeing the truth, but it's about having kids. And I, I have a hard time reconciling those two things that uh, on the one hand, he, he claims that the true reality is an infinite set of conscious agents. And on the other hand, it's evolution and you need to, you need to have a mechanism that evolves these con conscious agents, so to speak. So maybe I'm just not understanding it right. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a, wild idea, a wild idea for sure. <laughs> I think that there are possible ways to explain that or at least to try to explain it. Um, I definitely think you need to specify that you're kind of leaving, you know, things you can demonstrate and things you can really talk about without sounding like you're talking about woo-woo nonsense, that you're starting to sound like uh, Deepak uh, Chopra. 
Yeah. <laughs> he actually had a discussion with Deepak. With Deepak. <laughs> really? I, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I started to think about him a little bit when I was watching Donald Hoffman. I was like, well, I like to think about this stuff and just use my intuition to just pull shit out of my ass and then <laughs> ponder whether or not I actually pulled out something meaningful by accident, but I have no way of being able to, you know, show it. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like that that concept isn't that far off, that humans are actually amazing at intuitively figuring out the universe. Some better than others, obviously, but one example that I remember is like black holes. One of the first um, people like describing a black hole you know, in the entire concept was like, I think in the 17th century or something like that, like long before people even had any inkling of a uh, kind of mathematical, you know, aberration or um, a, a demonstration like we got more recently. I think most things like this start with just, it could be this, it could be that. And then we just, to shine our light there and until we can really uh, figure it out. I like to think about it, and I like to think that we kind of know the reality, actually. That we kind of intuitively know that space-time is not the end. And like how you alluded to at the beginning, I think you're saying that most scientists and most people that work on these things would be at least willing to uh, say that, yes, there's probably something is it conscious agents all the way down? Is it turtles all the way down? We can't say that, but there's there's something. Yeah, I, th I think most physicists would be just perfectly fine with saying, I don't know, you know, we, we don't know yeah. um, <laughs> what's, uh, what's beyond uh, relativity and we don't know what's um, like what the unifying theory might be and we don't know what happened before the Big Bang, for example. I mean, that's it's kind of a... Uh, in in a space-time framework, uh, when space-time starts at a certain point, asking what's before that is it becomes kind of a nonsensical question anyway. So that's 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 one way out for the for the physicists. It's sure, uh, it, it, <laughs> but it's not not something that our uh, mere mortal human brains with our intuitions um, actually like as an answer. I, I want to jump back to something you said when you uh, talked about uh, the next generation and the, the traveler and how human thought uh, spans its own dimension and stuff like that. There are some interesting ideas around that, that um, it's very hard to talk about the universe in any meaningful way or about anything in any meaningful way if you remove humans from the picture. like. Sizes, for example, become meaningless and ir irrelevant. Like if you, once you remove humans and any frame of reference, we don't know what kind of time, like what span of time is a long span of time, for example, or a short span of time. And we, we don't know what's big and what's small, for example. You know, it's, it's really hard to wrap your head around how a universe with, without any humans would look like if you could even talk about it in a meaningful way because we have no idea what the actual um uh like you know you know what i'm trying to say yes <laughs> maybe 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 what feels like 100 years to us is is just nothing in the grand scheme of of things i mean we kind of know we we kind of know um certain time spans i uh, my point is just that it becomes very meaningless to talk about any scale if you don't have a ref reference point. And for us, obviously, reference point is approximately a human lifespan, or um, <laughs> if we talk about in, in years, our reference point is not 
fractions of uh, nanoseconds, for example, or even way below that. And it's it's just um, interesting to me that you kind of need to have human agents in the universe for for it to make sense and to talk about it meaningfully. Kind of going to the before the universe thing that kind of reminds me of a lot of different atheists uh, and religious kind of conversations that I've had in the past, um, where it goes to like a uh, re- a religious person might say something like, well, before the universe, there was X, Y, Z. And like you kind of specified before there's time doesn't really make a lot of sense because you need, you need time in order to say before. One thing that I've, I, I remember taking away from those conversations is the concept of like the cosmos and there just be of there being something more. And now the religious person would go to there being like a cosmic mind. And I think Donald Hoffman might have said that there is some infinite mind or some infinite consciousness, and that's God. It did feel like he was trying to weasel in um, duality and a lot of kind of religious concepts that uh, I don't really want to jump on board with all that much. <laughs> Yeah, his 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 father was a pastor, if I remember correctly. So um, uh, at least on the weekends, he um, heard about the infinite consciousness of God a lot. I, I I would guess, but I think it's also interesting that basically all major religions talk about a thing like that. And you mentioned your uh, psychotic break a, a couple of years ago. And uh, as you know, since we we talked privately about it, um, I had something like that as well uh, last year. I. Most of the time, I just call it my religious experience, but it's just um, <laughs> because I'm not a religious person at all. You know, like I, I still identify as an atheist more or less, but uh, it gets harder um, since I, I had this experience. To use your terms, it, obviously, it was a psychosis as well, and it was a psychotic break, like if you ask my doctors. But um, I, I don't necessarily view it as that. For me, it was a very profound and very calming might be the wrong word, but I was never afraid, for example, even though I thought I'm, I'm dying. <laughs> and I um, uh, suddenly all the religious texts and everything that I dismissed um, outright uh, in the last couple of years kind of made sense, you know, like the one global consciousness, call it God, call it whatever. Also, uh, any concept of time uh, cease to make any sense for for me and my brain <laughs> like when i was in that mode um it felt like time was kind of eternal or standing still uh it's it's very hard to talk about it because um i'm uh, i i still don't have any meaningful vocabulary to talk about these things and i actually talked in 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 private um a couple of months ago with brandon quidham about it and he helped me a lot to to find um some resources to better make sense of this experience and also have have some better vocabulary but i'm I'm still struggling very much because i i don't really understand what happened to me or to my brain or to whatever to the universe <laughs> and uh it's i i resonate a lot with uh what, you, what you've said before i kind of you know experientially i tend to agree with many of the things that donald hoffman is saying and that it it might just be that the underlying reality is consciousness because it sure as fuck felt like it when i had my psychotic break <laughs> it felt exactly like that but um the the scientist in me says that 
it's the other way around, you know, like my brain just misfired and lit up like a Christmas tree and played tricks on me. And consciousness is something that comes out of brains and not, not the other way around. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, you know, when you're talking about you're just made to feel that way, um, I feel like you almost practically described a psychedelic experience. And it's the same kind of question, I guess. It's like, are, are you just are you just jacking up your brain? Are you just, you know, uh, going on a little uh, vacation inside your brain and all you're really doing are just messing with the chemicals and that's all that's really going on? Or um, I think like what uh, Joe Rogan might say, are you putting your mind in tune with some other reality, man? Um, <laughs> like on some level, you know, it sounds like something you can kind of dismiss as some hippie is, you know, dropping too much acid, smoking too much weed. But as someone that does do both of those things, I don't uh, really have a low opinion on those things. It's hard to mesh that world with, you know, the world of science, with the world of concrete demonstrations. But I guess you have to ask yourself, you know, if in the 17th century or earlier or whenever you had your scientist brain and someone told you that. We were going to find out everything that we found out about the universe by now, back then. Would you? Would they believe you? Would they be able to have the demonstration to believe in a black hole, for example? Um, they'd be like, no, I can't believe that. I mean, even scientists 20, 30 years ago would have good reason to be skeptical of a black hole because they had no ability to demonstrate it. They had no gravitational waves. They had none of that. You know, they could only suspect we could literally be talking about something that is true, but we're just bounded to our reality. Like if, let's say this conscious agent thing is true, we might be forever stuck from actually demonstrating it until like, cause I think the uh, tail end of his theory or, or hypothesis is when you die, you know, you don't die that you, your reality just changes to something else because Oh, I think what I was what I was mentioning before when I started going to the, the beginning of the universe was the concept of nothing that the religious will be like, well, why isn't there a something instead of nothing? The the response that I have really began to kind of take on is how can there ever be nothing to me? Something is the only thing that could possibly exist. I can't know that really, but. To me, that seems like very intuitively correct, that there can only be something. And if that's true, maybe the only something that can actually exist is consciousness. If we just take that on, you know, that's a lot to take on. But if we take that on, we can just say that everything is consciousness and consciousness has built rules for itself for whatever reason. And maybe those rules are the the evolution that we experience of, you know, like if we kind of go back to my psychotic break, and I don't know why we would, but <laughs> let's say that we did, that there's different levels in conscious reality, that there's different modes. And this is something similar to what Hoffman said, that there's like every different possibility that could exist does exist. And I feel like that's something along the lines of what some scientists would jump on board with some, not, not, not a lot, I don't think, but some, yeah. because it's not easily demonstrated. But uh, all different realities exist out there. And you could probably even go further down that path. And I think this even touches on what other scientists have gone into with there being like a uh, 
more than four dimensions, like up to like 11 dimensions in order to explain uh, string theory. I'm probably just talking about like a, a lot of buzzwords right now, so I apologize. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I guess what I'm trying to say is there is so many loose ends, so many possibilities, and so many things out there that could interconnect. Would you really be surprised if this was the answer, I guess? <laughs> yeah, well, um, I don't know. I think I would be surprised because in, in my in my mind, um, I don't know. It depends. I think it also depends on what you exactly mean by consciousness and how you would best describe it and define it. And Hoffman has a mathematical definition of consciousness. Uh, I haven't looked into it uh, in detail. Uh, so that's another thing that I, I still need to do because I would be interested in how he describes it. But I think it, it would make more sense that you start with the simplest building blocks that you can start. So you don't start with consciousness. You start with, uh, like the, the physicists uh, tend to do, um, you start with subatomic particles and some very simple rules and other things emerge from that. And I really like uh, simulations of, of this kind of phenomena. Uh, uh, I don't know if, if you're familiar with the game of life, for example. Do you know that? It's like a computer science thingy. I heard of the guy that invented that dying recently, but I had not heard of it uh, uh, previous. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's it's basically it's a cellular automata. It's 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 it works like a huge chessboard. <laughs> like imagine having a, a huge grid and you have very simple rules, and the rules are basically you have a, a field in this grid can either be black or white. And I'm ashamed to admit that I don't even know the rules by heart, but basically it's. Uh, if like if you have two black thingies close to it, they will mate <laughs> and they will create a new one. But you can also have overpopulation. So if a black thing is surrounded by two or more, I think then it will die off and it will turn white. So there are some very very simple rules. I I'm, I'm sure I messed up the rules, but it's it's uh, <laughs> I think you get the idea. With this very very simple rule set, you can build all kinds of things. And mathematicians have even proven that uh, you can build computers uh, with just this system. Like it's it's a Turing complete system. So you could you could build anything with it. It's it's really it's really amazing. It's really fascinating. Like in my mind, that's it. It kind of would make sense that our reality works in a similar fashion. That you have very simple building blocks and very simple rules, and the phenomena that emerge from that are very complex. And I, uh, I, I really liked what you said that the only thing that makes sense in your mind is that there is actually something, you know, and I, I tend to agree with that. You know, it's, it's really hard to think of a universe that is just nothing, just pure nothingness. You, you always kind of need a reference point, you know, you need something to take away that you have nothing. <laughs> so you can't think of, you can't even think of nothing without thinking of something. That's a, a weird uh, fact in of itself. But I, I, I'd like to go back to the um, stuff you said about psychedelics, because when I had my quote unquote religious experience, I felt so high, you wouldn't believe. I mean, you probably would believe you, you had a very similar experience, <laughs> I imagine. And you, you actually took psychedelics. I never took high doses of psychedelics, so, so I, I never was uh, out of my mind high. But I, when I was in that state, I kind of knew that uh, that's how it has to feel like, you know, that's... Everything I I heard described uh, by people that went through an experience like that suddenly made sense in 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 my mind, and I was like, ah, oh, okay, that's 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 what it feels like. That's what it that's what dying feels like. That's what 
thinking you become a god feels like and stuff like that. What I found interesting is that Donald Hoffman actually never took psychedelics as well. So we have that in common. So he arrived at his uh, theories without the aid of psychedelics. Ever since I, I had this experience, yeah, actually a little bit before I had this experience, um, I became very interested in uh, taking psychedelics and uh, I still want to do that. Like I, I want to, <laughs> I want to, in the most responsible way possible, experience like one, one of those wild trips. Um, I'm just not sure yet if, if my brain could handle it right now. I might have to wait a couple of years and uh, yeah, see how, see how that goes. <laughs> Somebody out there, get GG some DMT, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> DMT, ayahuasca, all the, all the good stuff. Um, I, like, all of that sounds very interesting to me. And um, yeah, I, I never experimented with drugs too much. I, I, I was more the, the alcohol drinking guy, you know, but um, <laughs> that got way better when I got older as well. I want to actually um, come back to something you said about uh, black holes and how physicists uh, probably would have a hard time believing it if you, if you told them what we know now, like a hundred years ago or even longer than that. And I'm, I'm surprised that we didn't talk about quantum mechanics yet and uh, uh, just a very weird, weird quantum world because Hoffman talks about it a bunch. Like he, he brings it up in, in some of his talks that we kind of know that reality is very weird or what we perceive as reality is very weird. And uh, I was just waiting for you to bring up uh, quantum mechanics and uh, just the quantum weirdness to, to drive home the point. What do you know about the weird quantum experiments like the double slit experiment or maybe even like delayed choice eraser experiments and stuff like that? So yeah, I watch a, a lot of videos on YouTube about those things. You know, uh, shout out to Space Time on, on YouTube oh, is yeah, a really yeah. good show. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I understand those things where, you know, you have spooky a action at a distance where you have two... Um, correlated pairs of particles, I believe, that will be able to, quote unquote, transmit information. I'm not sure if a scientist would actually ag agree with that, but um, <laughs> would transmit information seemingly at an impossible speed. Um, and I think what, uh, what Hoffman was saying that uh, th the reason why it seems to be spooky and weird is because we just don't get the full context that if we were able to step back and look at what's actually happening, it would seem very normal and easily explained, possibly by going to the higher dimensions. Like, I, I, I guess this, 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 this entire conversation, I was alluding to the quantum world and the quantum effects, but I guess I just didn't say it specifically. But the place that I kind of go is the concept that consciousness is a, I don't even know if this makes sense in reality, so please excuse me, but some kind of quantum system or something like that. That like I was watching these um, videos about D Wave and uh, quantum computers and stuff, and uh, damn it, I kind of lost what I was gonna say. Fuck. Um, D Wave. Yeah, D Wave. <laughs> but like, I think I think it was something like uh, quantum uh, different realities that you're you're leveraging, you know, all possible different parallel universes in your uh, quantum computation that you're you're building a machine that spans all of them or something like that yeah that's that's one of the explanations how a quantum computer works the, i think the honest answer is that nobody really knows <laughs> nobody really understands right. what's going on 
just to to clarify you uh, in case some physicists are, are listening please <laughs> um, <laughs> um the spooky action at, at a distance that's a that's a funny thing because uh, you actually can't transfer information you kind of know that something is happening and if you have um if you have those uh particles that are cor correlated as you said um I, i'm missing the correct english word in german it's verschränkt so it's uh give me a second uh entangled there you go if you have two two entangled particles and um they are in this entangled state even if you move them apart a very long distance like in particle terms there, there were even experiments made uh, spanning uh, many miles so uh, you can do some very interesting cryptography even with it like you can do quantum cryptography with entangled uh, systems like that because what do you what what's kind of happening is once you do a measurement of on one particle the other particle changes instantaneously and we don't even have a good idea what that means instantaneously because as far as we know instantaneous means with the speed of light like the, the the speed limit in our universe is the speed of light according to einstein's uh, relativity theory and it, it doesn't make sense to to have anything change faster than the speed of light but that seems to be happening but the interesting thing is that you can't really extract any meaningful information out of the change so you can't actually transfer any information so we don't have any faster than speed of light information technology you know like you can't send an email or any signal faster than the speed of light we can kind of prove that both particles changed at the same time so something did happen faster than the speed of light but we don't know what and to find out what happened we need to take another measurement and this destroys the whole thingy so you need to you, you need to correct <laughs> for the measurement you made you made and uh, you have to you have to convey this information like the, the the measurement correction so to speak via traditional traditional means and so the best you can do is speed of light but we kind of know that something weird is, is going on and uh, uh, that's also i think why uh, einstein called it the the spooky action at a distance it's 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 really weird it doesn't really make sense something is going on but we can't really use it to build any nice gizmos that actually communicate faster than the speed of light anyway that that, that was like a, <laughs> a a small a small uh physics lesson for you guys but it's definitely um true that something very weird is going on in the underlying quantum reality and it's the best physics physics theory that we have so as far as physicists can tell the underlying reality really is quantum based and what what i think is is very uh, interesting is it it seems that a lot of those systems they behave differently depending on the amount of information you can extract from them because there are also those if, if you watch the space-time videos you actually uh, have to have seen it because they have a video about the delayed choice quantum eraser experiment where you basically have a double slit experiment and uh, if, if if you don't know the double split experiment it, it goes basically like this that you can't tell if a photon went through one slit or the other and uh, the photons behave like waves if you don't measure 
where the particle went through and they more or less behave like particles when you measure where the photon went through so um it, it's it's a really weird experiment that you can actually do it at home so i i, I suggest if if you don't know anything about the double slit experiment just look it up maybe even try to build a small contraption with a, with a laser and uh, uh there are tutorials online on how to do that but anyway you can set up an experiment where you actually measure where the photon went through through which slit so this should destroy the interference pattern so it should more or less behave like a particle but if you if you destroy the information about the measurement like if you never read the measurement so to speak then it still works the interference pattern is still there and i i just you know the last couple of years i tried to wrap my head around that how how that could possibly be and i'm still failing you know the the best reason i can come up with is that the underlying reality is actually information based and there is a nice um there's a nice paper about that it's called it from bit and i i can't remember who the author is, um, very famous quantum physicist, and I should know. I should know actually, but I'll have to look that up. <laughs> Do you want to kind of go into that a little bit more and explain that a little bit? Because yeah, that's <laughs> kind of blowing my mind here right now. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The um, like the set of theories that uh, talks about that is uh, called digital physics. So. Uh, and I think I think the first paper that postulated something something like that was it by bit, or it was one of the first. Archibald Wheeler wrote it, so uh, yeah, very famous physicist. So so if you're into physics and weird theories, that's that's definitely something to to look into. I think you know it's 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 kind of similar um, to the theory of Donald Hoffman that the underlying reality is just infinite consciousness, so to speak. But in, in this case, the underlying reality is pure information. And I, I, I really like um, that idea for, for multiple reasons. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's easy to, to think about it in that way since I have a computer science background and it, it kind of makes sense in, in my worldview and in my brain. But also it kind of explains how, I'm not sure if it explains it, but what's really weird about our physical world is that mathematics works so insanely well to describe it like all the quantum phenomena that we talked about all, all the, the quantum weirdness uh, like quantum particles are actually best described by a vector of imaginary numbers so you know like the, the square root of minus one <laughs> uh, like the imaginary numbers uh, and the square root of minus one it, it was more or less like a at least it felt to me like a mathematical trick that mathematicians came up with and then suddenly you have a new set of numbers and they had no real application you know it was just a mathematical curiosity as far as i know but it turns out that you need this mathematical curiosity to um, describe quantum states and quantum particles and so it's it's kind of weird that um, we haven't found any phenomena in the real world yet that we can't describe very accurately uh, mathematically and so it, it, it kind of makes sense in my opinion that the underlying reality of our universe is mathematical or uh, maybe information based i don't know what do you think about that i mean i guess i don't have that strong of an opinion but i guess my mind is going to could you be talking about the same thing you know information theory and you know conscious agent theory or hypothesis or whatever is is that 
Is that the same thing? And we're just talking about it in different couched terms. Yeah, it might be. Because like the thing about the consciousness uh, or the, the, the conscious agent hypothesis, a lot of it is like you, you have component parts of consciousness or like uh, consciousness particles or something. I don't I don't even know. But because basically what he's saying is that you're made up because you were we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but like people are made up of many individual consciousnesses. And I think that seems somewhat intuitive. When you think about stuff, sometimes you think about things this way, sometimes you think about things that way, and there seems to be a kind of soup of people inside of you sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems kind of intuitive, but I, I, I like the idea too, because it, it explains a lot of things inside of me and how other people work, and it might, you know, it just seems like it could really explain things. But anyway, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of losing my, my track here, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Heavy stuff. <laughs> it's yeah, it is. It's like it's it's a very uh, complicated one, but um, to be to be fair, um, like Hoffman talks about uh, that kind of problem as well. Like he he talks about the problem of consciousness and also uh, the hard problem of consciousness, and that's related to solipsism in a way. Like you you can't really prove that other people are conscious, and only you can experience the world as you experience it, and only you can be like the, the conscious agent of your universe and like th there's no two ways about it like the, you, you um even logically even if if you could swap bodies you know you would kind of you, you still you would still have the same problem nothing would change yeah <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no way to prove that that uh, any other agent that you interact with is actually conscious and I, I think that's that's a, an interesting rabbit hole in itself because it also relates to AI and other things. And uh, I think the most beautiful solution to the problem, as some people would say, it's it's not really a solution; it's a cop out. But I, I still think it's beautiful. Uh, is the Turing test by Alan Turing? I think it it was. I mean, he he made so many great con contributions to the world and to science. But I think on a philosophical level, that was his biggest contribution because. And basically what he's saying is if a computer acts like a human being, you have to accept him as a human being. So that's, that's a very <laughs> compressed and dumbed down version of, of the Turing test, because that's what we are doing all the time. You know, if you interact with another person and the person behaves like a conscious agent and it, to you, it feels like the other person has the same inner processes that you do. So you kind of assume that it's the same thing. And uh, yeah, the Turing was basically saying that if we ever come to a state where computers are really good at, at that as well, like they can imitate it perfectly, then you basically have to take that as at face value and uh, just accept that the computer is conscious now. Do you think we're ever going to get to the point where we do actually have conscious machines here? Yeah, I, I actually do. I actually do. Um, I even think that we're close, <laughs> which, you know, might sound weird to some people, but um, it's, you know, like I'm, I'm in my mid-30s now, so I, I lived through the rise of computing and uh, the rise of the internet and the rise of mobile computing and stuff like that. And it, it just is obvious to me that all the computational advancements that were made in, in the last couple of decades, uh, they're still on an exponential trajectory and um like if this continues it won't take much longer for the sheer computation power of our devices um to exceed 
the computation power of uh, like small insects and uh, dogs and uh, soon after that uh, other mammals and then humans and then the smartest humans that ever lived and so on. And I, I tend to agree with the assessment of Ray Kurzweil on, on that regards. He, he is a very clear thinker in regards to exponentials and um, he invented quite a few interesting things because I think he was able to invent those things because of his insights. It's also a good counterpoint to Hoffman's theories because uh, Ray Kurzweil, he actually takes the opposite stance that consciousness is an emergent phenomena. It emerges from the brain, so to speak. And he wrote a very interesting book, uh, How to Build a Brain, I think it's called. And he lays out very clearly how the brain works, how the different pieces, so to speak, fit together, how different layers of neural networks um, produce something that can, for example, read a page of text. And you have, uh, I mean, we kind of know how this works now because we can build it and we can build OCR systems and we can build neural networks um, that can learn how to read and can learn how to read uh, handwritten numbers and stuff like that and can do even way more complex things. I mean, everyone kind of knows that we have that now because you all have to uh, prove that you're not, not a robot and you have to help <laughs> our, our coming overlords to identify street signs and crosswalks and cars and whatnot. So um, yeah, all, behind that are insanely large neural networks that have the same mechanisms built in silicon that we have built in our brains, that you have one module that uh, takes care of just um, differentiating the contrast, for example, like differentiating black from white and finding the edges of the letters. And then you have another module that takes care of uh, reading whole words or uh, individual letters. And then you have one module that tries to uh, understand what kind of language it is and tries to understand the language, understand the grammatical structure and so on and so forth. Records while lays out that it's basically for all our processes in our brains, including consciousness, it, it works in this kind of way, in this kind of nested, multi-level, layered way. And uh, I like that explanation quite a lot. And it's obviously a counterpoint to Hoffman's ideas. Just to be the uh, devil's advocate here. Sure. <laughs> would there be any way to integrate both? Like, could Hoffman be right? And we could still, you know, quote unquote, construct portals and interfaces that lead to other consciousness somehow? Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I think, I think one, one bridge that um, would kind of make that work is if something is going on in our brains that um, we don't understand well enough yet. Like people will probably hate me for saying that now, but what if some processes in our brains are, for example, making use of this quantum weirdness that we talked about, like some, some, um, some things in our brains are quantum based. What if that's true? Most people think like most scientists think that's not true. And, uh, you could actually in, in theory, you could build a perfectly normal human brain using another substrate, like using silicon chips, for example, if you knew what you're doing and you build it well enough, <laughs> then uh, th that should be possible by um, most 
estimates of of most scientists but th there are some theories um that actually postulate that some parts of our brains work quantum mechanically and hoffman references that as well um i'm not sure maybe maybe because of that uh, he could be right you know like uh, maybe there is a connection to a deeper thing or to an underlying uh, universal consciousness or something like that as a follow-up to that, what is your opinion of quantum immortality? Quantum immortality? <laughs> I think I never heard the term, so you have to expand on that. Okay, so quantum immortality is the concept that you, your consciousness is the one that survives out of all the possible quantum selves, because all, all the ones that die, die and don't exist anymore. Or I'm probably uh, not saying this totally correct, but... It's, it's essentially where you'll always live because your your quantum self is the <laughs> one that survives or something. Okay, I see. I I, th I think I think I know the the concept behind it. Like there there is, um, as we said before, there there are some very weird things going on in the in the quantum world, and one interpretation of it is the um, multi world interpretation that actually all things that are possible are happening all the time, but the universe splits into. And so what you're trying to say is um, that it should be true for like all, all physical phenomena in the world, like every, every minute quantum interaction would generate a new universe. So all, all possibilities actually exist and uh, quantum immortality would be just, you would be on the path where you live, yeah, basically pretty much forever, I guess, but <laughs> the longest, let's, <laughs> let's not be outrageous. I would even take it a bit further. <laughs> I, I never heard that. Um, it's it's a very interesting idea. Um, I don't know. I, I I think we, if if that were to be true, you kind of, I would expect to see some older people. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. But please go ahead. <laughs> here's here's how I would describe it, and here's how I've kind of built it inside my head. It's that you live your human life and then you switch to a different life. You die in, in human terms, but then you switch to a different kind of life. So one kind of very easy way to model that is like you wake up as an alien on a flying saucer doing alien <laughs> things. Like that's very silly and simple, but like that's the kind of place that I think you, you would kind of go. Or you could take it even more absurd and you kind of begin to think of, you know, Rick and Morty is really good at yeah. doing this kind of cosmic horror <laughs> kind of thing where you just you don't totally disconnected from what we really think of. So like maybe like a a Cronenberg monster <laughs> or whatever of like the kind of amorphous blob of body parts <laughs> or whatever, just whatever. It's you can't even imagine it. Mm -hmm. It's like it's some just different reality different rules different modalities of sense of everything like we we're just not set up to describe it even it's just like it's it's that far off from our perspective like that could be the next mode of our life or whatever that means and then from there that might end and then it might shift to something else after that and then that's basically what your consciousness experiences. And it may not even remember the previous thing. And that, that might be reincarnation, whatever. I don't know. That might be my current consciousness just trying to latch on to um, some explanation in order for me to have a plausible way of not dying or ending or something. Yeah. 
that's yeah. plausible. But it could also be the reality because it's like I don't, I don't know that my consciousness started. I have memories of it, of of this human life. But that does that mean anything? Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, it's it's uh, it's very hard, if not impossible, to falsify a theory like that. So um, I don't know. I don't know. I I think it's it's obvious to me that um, humans would like to live forever and all religions pretty much talk about it they either talk about an afterlife or talk about uh, reincarnation or some other cyclical way of of staying alive um i don't know i'm 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 still enough of an atheist to not think uh, to not believe in a life after death and uh, i think you would run into even mathematical and logistical problems if um that were true you know like if everyone would live forever we would have endless people because obviously babies are born <laughs> so <laughs> you have two two people two two conscious experiences and then you have a third one and you could argue that you know all the uh, the whole consciousness is either as Hoffman says the base reality or you the conscious agents lived before and had a had an eternal life before that and it's just uh, like you said the the human form now um i don't know i uh, you know i obviously I, w I would like to believe a version for, of that maybe you know eternal life and i think the the record trial and the singularity people they would like to believe that as well they are talking about living forever either through bio enhancements or through uploading yourself into the cloud or something um but uh yeah, I, I I believe I will die <laughs> one day. I also think that Ray Kurzweil will die, uh, for example. Um, I but that doesn't mean that I don't believe in radical life extension, for example. Uh, that's a, a different topic. Uh, I, I believe that that's true. I think uh, we could um, improve our biological bodies to live uh, maybe multiple hundred years, but maybe even longer than a thousand years. But uh, I'm not sure if you um would want that even i don't know i think i think death is, is an integral part of life and i really liked the zen buddhist view the yin and yang view of of that process that life implies death and uh you you can't even have a meaningful life without death death i would think i mean i think that's fair but i think what's also fair is that humans you know whatever humans are um, if anything, they're, they're creatures of resistance, curiosity, tenacity, and all these things of being able to overcome issues. And I think death is one of those issues. Now, I don't think we can permanently overcome it. It's just extending it to stupid time periods um, that don't make sense to our, our current selves. I think it's like getting to living for hundreds of trillions of <laughs> yeah. years or something like timescales like that. But I still see an end at some point so like I've I've kind of had this thought experiment for years where, OK, I've managed to survive for a thousand years. OK, now I can survive for 10,000 years. Now I can survive for a million, a billion, 10 trillion, 100 trillion. But at some point, there's a there's a hard stop. Um, if it's like the end of the universe, you know, uh, he, the uh, heat death of, of of the universe where like at the very end i'm kind of huddling around the last black hole yeah. 
you know, <laughs> using its uh, rotational energy to survive. And then even that goes out and I'm kind of like, well, fuck. Yeah, that, that seems to be the ultimate fate as far as we can tell. So that's, that's, that's kind of depressing, you know, like, um, <laughs> I know, I know it, it's depressed me for a while, you know, that uh, in the end it, it, it will all go to shit. And as far as we can tell, the universe will keep expanding and we are kind of in this glorious period now where we can actually see quite far in the universe and, uh, um, since the expansion is accelerating, uh, as far as we know, um, there will be a point in time in a couple trillion years where uh, our galaxy is the only galaxy we will see because all the other galaxies will ha have reached escape velocity and the light of them won't even reach us. So you will just see perfect darkness outside and you, you, you wouldn't even know that other galaxies exist. And again, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because who knows in what situation we are right now maybe it looked even you know we can't even think of what it might have looked like uh, uh, 10 billion years ago i mean there are theories about it but um <laughs> it's it, it's fun to to um turn this conclusion on its head and uh, uh think about our current state as well but yeah the the living a long time and the life extension stuff i mean if you if you follow the the theories of the singularity people and um of those people that actually think about those things in a very serious manner who who knows what's possible you know physically possible so many things are physically possible that that it's really hard to imagine and i i always like to um when i talk about those things uh, uh mostly over beers with friends <laughs> I, I i like to bring up the the thought experiment just imagine in the future where you have super intelligent AI and you have nanobots and you have like bio-based nanobots that can actually heal you very quickly or uh, reconfigure you in certain ways. It's not outrageous to think that you could drive down a highway with your car and you have a horrible accident and you're, you're just completely crushed and you're instantly dead and your car is broken and everything is horrible. <laughs> and uh, it, it's not outrageous to think that we could build technology um, that actually disassembles your car and disassembles you and assembles you back just the way you were like 10 minutes ago, you know? And from an outsider perspective, it, it would look like a magical thing was happening and time would reverse and you would actually, you know, like all the atomic and subatomic pieces would put themselves together in the exact perfect way again that you have something like a safe state in a computer game and then you can just go on living again and um that's as as far as we know all of that is physically possible you know we just don't know how to do it yet so i i i like those kind of thought experiments that you as you said you then can go on living for a thousand years and maybe ten thousand years and and what have you but Again, as far as we can tell, just from the physical universe we're living in, um, there seem to be hard limits, and that's that's kind of depressing. <laughs> kind of on the tail end of that here, we're kind of reaching the towards the end here, but I want to keep on going at least a little bit more. The main thought that I think of when I kind of get the end is I go back around to Isaac Asimov, the last question, and I'm sure you're aware of that one, right? It's been a while since I've read it. Sure, but I'm, I'm sure you remember the whole uh, let's reverse entropy thing inside of there. I do. And I think that's the, that's the hard limit that we're talking about here, that we're 
that um, entropy is just going to keep going up, et cetera, et cetera, that we're going to reach the uh, universe so spread out, so, uh, you know, just basically everything just going to be dust, even smaller than dust. You know, how do you survive that? And, you know, one possible idea was using the, like, infinite uh, consciousness of humanity for billions of years to calculate a way to figure it out. You know, do you think if that's an even coherent concept, because I've tried to say that on Twitter before and people have yelled at me that reversing entropy is not a coherent concept. (laughs) I'm fine with that. I'm not a scientist. Uh, I'm not an expert by any means, but I, I like to think that I can think intuitively in certain spaces and at least kind of pick at, some things um i i think it's perfectly fine with it what you said i think you know uh, just the process of life is a local reversal of entropy but i think the local is important and maybe that's what the twitter people were angry about but who knows you know twitter people are angry people they will yell at you <laughs> for for anything really it's true <laughs> it doesn't matter what you what you post so yeah i i very much agree with the um the stuff you just said that uh, uh and also what Asimov wrote about, um, that it is a battle against entropy. And I think the purpose of life is uh, the local reversal of entropy and hanging on as as long as you can. And I think uh, Rockstar developer, your patient zero, talked about that as well. I think that's his stated purpose uh, in life, that uh, he will do whatever he can to do his part in the local reversal of entropy, <laughs> right? Right. I think, <laughs> I think he said that. What, what I tend to agree with um, with Hoffman is the sentiment of there might be a deeper thing, a source code. And maybe if we can get access to that, then we really would have superpowers and we could reverse entropy for good, so to speak. And um, I think that's a, that's, a hopeful, that's a hopeful thing to think about because to drop another name, Eric Weinstein talks about that a lot as well. He has his his own theory of everything and um, he talks about it in that sense that we obviously know that like he thinks he he thinks that string theory is a dead end and um, he agrees with everyone else that um, the current quantum mechanical theories like quantum electrodynamics and quantum chromodynamics and stuff like that and uh, um, relativity is not enough to explain things so there is a deeper theory. He thinks he has a candidate for it. And his main motivation to work on that is who knows what we could build and who knows what we could do if we would have access to the source code, so to speak. And um, yeah, he, he's also of the opinion that we kind of need to leave this planet because um, our time here is very limited and we, we might be stupid enough to lower ourselves up or um, yeah, in, in at least a couple million or billion years i don't know probably billion years (laughs) the sun will swallow the earth so um our time is is very limited and i i i i like this optimistic view that um you know we we were able to build atomic bombs and and hydronuclear bombs um just with our theoretical breakthrough in physics and now we can build all kinds of interesting things also with our breakthroughs in uh in quantum physics and who knows what we can build with the next kind of big breakthrough. And maybe we can even, you know, get to the source code of our simulation. And that would be fun. 
I'm going to dupe so much Bitcoin. <laughs> that, that would be easy then. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> all right. To end the show here, let's have a terrible Bitcoin conversation to scare off all of the non-Bitcoin people. But in a world where maybe we do discover the source code, does Bitcoin have the same kind of value? Wow. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm... <laughs> I'm not even sure if I have, if I if I have a good answer. I, I would have to think about it uh, for quite a while. Uh, you know, I'm not drunk enough for that right now. <laughs> right. But, you know. Right. And, we have to go jump uh, on TFTC. Yeah, exactly. A, a bottle of whiskey, and I can answer that question fluently without a problem. But it's um, it, an interesting thought experiment that I tweeted out quite a while ago, like over a year ago, I think. Um, is if if we would find something that could produce infinite energy or if we would have free energy, you know, like uh, in, a, in a Star Trek universe, pretty much. If we would have free energy, would Bitcoin be in danger? Like, could you attack Bitcoin in a meaningful way? And I think it's, it's you know, it's a similar question because Bitcoin is, it's weird in that way that it's not a physical thing. It's, all of it is, I mean, it's, it's bound to our physical world, but it's still an information construct and we also as a swarm intelligence agree on every 10 minutes pretty much um what bitcoin is and it's i don't know i don't know if bitcoin would lose all its value because of of a scientific breakthrough i mean people talk about for example quantum computation uh, be able to um crack all the encryption used um, that's only partly true, and uh, I think we could also modify Bitcoin in a way um, to make it resistant to such attacks if we had to. Like we could switch to quantum-resistant um, algorithms, and uh, those do exist, and people are working on that. And interestingly enough, <laughs> most of those um, quantum-resistant algorithms they're information-based, so uh, that's something to think about as well, maybe. Huh, like that's. That there's there's so much to dig in here, man. It's like I've I have like thirty more questions that I'm kind of mulling <laughs> over in my head here. But uh, pick the best two. <laughs> well, how about this? Um, uh, I'm gonna kind of stay on Bitcoin here a little bit just to close uh, to, to close out the show. Um, do you think that uh, Bitcoin is an alien consciousness from a parallel universe attempting to install itself? Oh, I, I really like all those outlandish theories, but uh, no, I don't think that. I think I think Satoshi was very <laughs> human, and if you study the history of Bitcoin, it's it's apparent that like he made many mistakes and uh, he wasn't perfect at all, uh, and it was obviously bootstrapped from very humble beginnings. But I I love those. You know, on the other hand, if if the AI or the alien uh, super intelligence would be really smart, it would obviously uh, make us believe all that, that Satoshi was human and <laughs> it started small and so on. And it was the plan all along. Uh, I, I really like those theories. I think my, uh, my most favorite one is um, the time traveling AI that bootstraps itself. Um, <laughs> that, uh, that's fun to think about. But no, I think... Bitcoin's origins uh, are actually quite humble and human in origin. I also believe that uh, Satoshi was one person and uh, a man at that. Sorry for all the women, but he self-identified as a man. And, you know, most people that were early in Bitcoin were men. And um, I, I don't want to go into the 
um, societal reasons for that or what the reasons might be. But I think it was one person, a man at that, and um, he, he did it alone. I would probably uh, jump on board with that. Uh, do you think it was uh, Hal Finney? I don't know. You know, I I, I have my theories. I, I I flip flop on on those kind of questions. I I hope we never find out. I hope we never find out. I I think it it's important for Bitcoin to have this mystery around its creation, and uh, I I really hope that we never find out. It it might have been hell. Um, I uh, you know. Some people that are still alive would be candidates as well. Um, I, I think um, Nick Sabo, for example, would be capable of creating Bitcoin. Would would have been capable of creating Bitcoin. I don't think he he is Satoshi, but there are some some people that could actually pull it off and would have the background to do it. Does it matter? No, I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. I think it's it's very similar to other um, interesting things that were discovered or created or. Um, invented, however you want to put it, it doesn't. It doesn't matter who invented the, the wheel, for example. It doesn't matter uh, who Pythagoras was, for example. You know, and <laughs> what kind of political views he had. Uh, the theorems are sound anyway, and they are very useful. And I think Bitcoin is sound and is very useful. And it, it doesn't really matter who invented it. Okay, and I think my last question is: Do you have any inspirational thoughts about the next ten years of you know the future of humanity? Hmm. Inspirational thoughts for the future of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Ending it with a very easy question. Hmm. I don't know. I think. I think people like Elon Musk and other very ambitious people. They have the right idea in mind. I think it's good to strive for um, the next level, so to speak. And uh, I t just Elon Musk came, came to my mind, but whatever the next level might be in your opinion, it might, it might be a return to um, uh, more localism, for example, or a return um, to, to your own consciousness. And uh, I, I think in the next 10 years or the next couple of decades, I hope that a lot of individuals and a lot of people will keep on striving in whatever, whatever that means for them. If, it's, if it means building rockets and, calling, uh, and, and building a base on Mars, <laughs> so be it. If, it. if it means working on artificial intelligence, so be it. If it means uh, taking LSD and exploring your own mind, so be it. Um, so I think stagnation... Uh, is what actually kills and you know as we talked about entropy is what kills so if you if you if you work on exploring something maybe improving yourself improving improving the state of the world just a little bit in your own way then um i hope that that should be inspiration enough for for all of humanity <laughs> i think that's a perfect way to end the show and i would agree i think honestly most people right now are training to go live on Mars at some point in the future. Maybe not literally, but um, I see cell phones, our computing technology, our instant communication as kind of things, the kind of building blocks that we would need in order to become kind of pioneers and scientists on Mars. Um, you know, the kind of people, the kind of generalists that, that we would need on Mars to really survive up there, explore up there, you know, do research up there. Um, and I, I think that's that kind of optimistic vision is, I think, something that we're really lacking in, in our culture right now, not to jump on a soapbox or anything. But uh, um, I, 
I feel like uh, it, there needs to be more of that. Like Star Trek used to do that really well, and I don't think it does that really well anymore. And I, I miss that. I want to have like a thing that, that shows me that humans are on the path of uh, like figuring shit out and not not succumbing to cynicism. Like I'm as, as when I was a 20 something, I was full of cynicism, but I think in my thirties, I don't have that anymore. Um, I'm, I'm very optimistic for the future and I hope we, uh, we, we all find a more beautiful tomorrow as terribly cliche as that sounds. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think you put it perfectly. I think, I, I think so too. We, we shouldn't be afraid to dream, you know, and dream big at that. Why not? We, we might as well give it our best shot. And we'll go ahead and end the show there, Gigi. I really appreciate you being my second patient here. Yeah, thanks again for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you.